Welcome to Lethal Dose, your favorite toxicology-focused podcast where we delve into true crime cases involving drugs and poisons. My name is Venus Dineko. I'm a layperson fascinated by true crime. My name is Kayla Woods. I'm an author and toxicologist. Let's get started. Kayla, what are we talking about this week? Oh, today we're talking about arsenic, which seemed like an obvious choice because it's a favorite among people who know their poisons. So I think it's a a favorite literally in the sense that I think our listeners will be interested in it. There's a book called A for Arsenic. That's just, that's where you got to start. It's a favorite of the poisoners (laughs) as well. (laughs) (laughs) Which we will talk about. We will definitely talk about that. Excellent. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about like the early history of arsenic. This will definitely be like a multi-party that we'll return to. Okay. So this first episode, I wanted to be like early history. How did we find arsenic? When was it used? So I won't be getting into like more modern stuff. Okay. That'll be in a later podcast. Okay. Looking forward to that. Yeah. (laughs) I'm excited. (laughs) Excellent. Well, let's get started. Cool. So what is arsenic? Okay. Arsenic is a (laughs) semi-metal. Okay. And what does that mean? It means that if you... If you look at the periodic table, okay, <laughs> you have things that are metals, which is most of the periodic table, okay. and then things that are non-metals, which anybody who took a chemistry class in high school knows that it's like the top upper right corner okay. of the periodic table. Okay. But along a, a specific line that you were probably told to like draw and try to memorize are a series of elements that are neither metals nor non-metals. They're semi-metals. Okay. And arsenic is on that line. So They're in limbo. Kind of. Yeah. And so they don't, I'm going to get really nerdy here, but they don't behave in the, the way that metals do with a sea of like electrons, you know, Okay. in metals. And they don't exactly behave the way that non-metals do. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I love science. <laughs> <laughs> and so arsenic is interesting because it behaves as a, as, as a metal in that it has a couple different states that it, it can exist in. So is it like water in that it, water can exist as a solid, liquid, and gas? Oh, good point. So it can exist as different physical states. Okay. But what I guess I meant to say and could have been more clear on is that it can exist like inorganically, organically, and as uh, like an ion or a gas. Mm, I see. So the different forms of arsenic are organic arsenic, arsenic acid, diamethyl arsenic acid, salts of arsenite, arsenate, and methane arsenoate, right? So lots of different ways that it comes in okay. and it poisons you in different ways okay. based on that. And sometimes it doesn't poison you because it can't interact with your body because of the form that it takes. Oh. It's similar to mercury in that and mercury is a metal. So that's why I think it's interesting to mention that it's a semi-metal. Interesting. So if you ingest arsenic, what are the symptoms of exposure? Sure. Acute exposure presents with nausea, vomiting, severe diarrhea, abdominal pain, altered mental state, and peripheral neuropathy. Peripheral. Mm, yeah. Yep, I've had experience with that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a fun time. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then chronic exposure presents as multi-system disease in the skin, the GI tract, the cardiovascular system, the neurological system, the, it interacts with the genitourinary system, the respiratory system, and the endocrine system. And it is a known carcinogen. So it can really, it can really mess with you. I want to make sure that I'm on the right track. Mm -hmm. Acute exposure means one-time ingestion. Chronic exposure means over a length of time? Yes. Okay. Yes. 
What makes arsenic so toxic? <laughs> Why do we know it as one of the most synonymous things with poisoning? It's just because as long as mankind has been around, we've we've had arsenic. We've just had it because it's it's present in the Earth's crust. It's the 20th most abundant element in the Earth's crust, and it can leach into water, food, the air. It can be arsine gas, okay. and it can exist in the soil. So we've always had to live with it. Early on, a lot of our medicine came from mining and mines, and so we, we noticed that miners got a lot of specific diseases that regular people didn't. Mm. Like cancer, I think, is actually from miners because it looked like a crab, I think, when they like oh. opened up some... Yeah, I could be wrong about that, but like I'm pretty no, sure... That, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I was always like, why is like the crab zodiac, zodiac sign... Right. Cancer. cancer. Yeah, and I think it's because, like, miners got the specific form of cancer. Yeah. Early medicine also said that for every disease there is a cure, and there's a lot of different outlooks on that that were developed where you'll see the cure because it will look like the disease or it will look like the thing that's being mm. ailed. And so the assumption was that if this thing is killing you, this thing can also cure you. And so a lot of our medicines came from mining early on. Interesting. Yeah. And so Hippocrates first dis- described abdominal colic in miners in uh, 370 BCE. The type that he found is arsenic trioxide, and that was the kind that was used early on and that we'll be delving heavily into this episode. Okay. But it's if you have ore and you burn it and arsenic is in it, it will turn white. So it's a white powder. Mm. And they decided to mess with this white powder because they saw this physical change and they're like, that's interesting. It was useful for some things because it can cure things it can be used for things i mean historically it's been used for gastrointestinal things and because i'm sure it was used for if it causes peripheral neuropathy then it might have been used for something like that you know like Like if you have overactive nerves or something something like that then it could deaden it could reverse yeah and so they noticed that people who ingested it they had this thing and so they were like oh well it can do this Okay. Yeah, but it works because it acts on about 200 enzymes in the body, and mostly those that are involved in cellular pathways and DNA synthesis and the repair. Can we pause for the lay people? Yes. <laughs> enzymes. What are the functions of them? Enzymes are biological catalysts for chemical reactions in the body. So these reactions could theoretically still happen, but they happen much quicker because mm. of enzymes. Okay. Your saliva has enzymes. And it helps break down food. You could break down food, just don't get, like, spit in your mouth. But your your saliva enzymes do it much better. <laughs> and they're in a ton of things. I mean, I was trying to look up specific enzymes that arsenic acts on, and I could find them, but there's just so many enzymes in the body. I The only thing I know about enzymes are with my porphyria. Mm-hmm. I lack the enzyme that helps break down toxins yes. in your body. Exactly. So I know of that enzyme, <laughs> the one. Yeah. But beyond that. Yeah, enzymes are involved in... Growth, healing, blood coagulation, breathing, reproduction, detoxification of the body. All the things. All the things. Okay. And the ones that arsenic acts on specifically is it inhibits glutathione reductase, which resists oxidative stress. And that means it prevents reactive oxygen species from damaging cell components. So if you're ever like buying juice or something and it says that it has antioxidant properties, Mm. that's kind of what it's trying to appeal to okay is that it's going to reduce the oxidative stress in your body whether or not those claims are true i can't speak to sure 
you know, eat your blueberries because they're good for you. But arsenic actually continues this oxidative stress, which we know actually causes cancer and a whole other bunch of things. This particular enzyme, this glutathione reductase, usually helps to detoxify the body. And when this oxidative stress is unmitigated because that enzyme is being inhibited, it can lead to cancer, heart failure, infection, and diseases of the brain. Fantastic. Right, and those are all of the symptoms that I I mentioned earlier of arsenic poisoning. Okay, great. Yeah. That sounds super excellent. (laughs) And then arsenic also acts on uh, the Krebs cycle because ATP, which if you remember high school (laughs) biology, the Krebs cycle produces two CO2 molecules and one ATP, which is like the currency of energy. Mm -hmm. And so the ATP goes on and it becomes like ADP and it gets involved with DNA and RNA. What arsenic does is it replaces the P in ATP. So it replaces the phosphate. So one third of this very critical thing. And the thing that is traded in order to be Mm. currency. Yeah. And so So it's kind of like going to the bank with the wrong currency. Like, oh, here, please take all my euros and I'd like dollars back. Yeah. And they're like, we don't do, like, you got to go exchange this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty important, it sounds like. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So how... How early on in humanity did this become a purified poison? I mean, it became a purified poison about the time that I described Hippocrates found it because you just needed to burn that ore and then you mm-hmm. got the arsenic trioxide. It wasn't super purified and we didn't like recognize it as an element until way later on in human history. Mm-hmm. So I can't speak to that for this episode, but we've okay. known about it for a while. I mean, we didn't know about like arsine gas until later on, but the organic arsenic trioxide mm-hmm. we've known about forever. Interesting. And so didn't, did it, forgive me if, is that, was it used as a poison almost immediately after its discovery? <laughs> well, how, uh, how much of a like philosophical debate do you want to get into right now? Thank I want to question existence and time. <laughs> That's how <laughs> So I mean, one of the things that I've learned a lot about is the fact that drugs and poisons were essentially the same thing for a long mm. time. And this is a huge part of what we'll get into today. I'm excited that you asked me about this, actually, <laughs> now that I think about Excellent. it. So we knew that certain poisons had health benefits. We've always known that. Mm. And so the word for pharmacon, I think, actually comes from the word, or it branches off the word for toxicon. Okay. So we've always known that drugs are toxic. Oh. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, we've always known that. And... Paracelsus said the dose makes the poison, and he said that because basically all of our drugs up through, even now, I guess, are definitely now, are poisons. Yeah, I I mean, if you think about things like the opioid epidemic, Mm -hmm. or even more recently, fentanyl, Mm -hmm. you know, it's in small doses, it's okay, you know, but then when you go to crate, like, you're gonna die. Right, yeah. (laughs) Interesting. The dose for arsenic. Um, yeah, the LD50, I remember. Yes. The lethal dose for 50% <laughs> of the population. Did I nail it? <laughs> yes, you did. Yes. And I couldn't find that number for arsenic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what I could find. A single dose of 200 milligrams of arsenic trioxide can be fatal to an adult, but the speed of death isn't certain. It can take mm. hours or days. Mm. Yeah. That makes sense. And then one of the immediate signs of oral fatal exposure to arsenic is gastrointestinal distress, so the vomiting, diarrhea, and GI hemorrhage. 
And so it could very easily be um, excused as food poisoning or cholera. You know? or, or the stomach flu. There's so many things yeah. that if you go to the hospital and mm-hmm. you say, I'm puking and things are coming out the other end in a very quick fashion. <laughs> yeah, they'll be like, what did you eat? Right. Yeah. They're not, it's, you know, when you hear hooves, don't think zebra, mm-hmm. think horse. So if you go men, I mean, they're not going to automatically assume everybody who comes in with GI distress, you were poisoned with arsenic, yeah. weren't you? Yeah. It would make their lives so much harder if that was the first thing they jumped to. And so it can really be missed. It can be easily missed. And it was historically too. Oh, I, I, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Why? Yeah. So what I was able to find was that animal studies have shown a no observable adverse effect level, which is an N-O-A-E-L. So there's another acronym to know. Okay. <laughs> no, let's, let me slow it. No observable adverse effect level. Yeah. So that, let me see if I can try to grasp the concept <laughs> just from the name. So is that if you in, intake this amount, the mm-hmm. N-O. A-E-L, yes. <laughs> then you're not going to notice problems from it. Right. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's important to to remember and consider because it also evokes the idea of a therapeutic window, mm. which I couldn't mention with botulism because it was, Botox is injected in units. And so it was hard for me to translate like, this will kill you. And this will just like help your migraine. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but the N-O-A-E-L evokes the idea of the therapeutic window. And so some drugs we consider to be more poisonous because they have a very narrow therapeutic window. That makes sense. Where they don't do anything, and that's the NOAEL, mm-hmm. and then they start to do something, mm-hmm. and you can have whatever therapy you need mm-hmm. that starts to be shown in this window. And then beyond that, it's toxic. Mm. And so if you think of arsenic, it has a narrow window versus like marijuana, where sure, maybe you've eaten too much of an edible, but you didn't die. You're going to pass out on your couch <laughs> yeah. and wake up with a very big drooly face and some brownie crumbles on you. Exactly. You're not going to die. Exactly. And so those are the different kinds of okay. therapeutic windows that we talk about. Oh, that's really useful. Okay. Yeah. N-O-A-E-L. Yes. So the NOAEL found in animal studies, again, for GI symptoms specifically is 0.01 milligrams per kilogram body weight per day. Okay. And the average person, 150 pound person, that's about 68 kilograms. Okay. So that's about 0.68 milligrams per day. And that's a daily thing before you start to see adverse effects. Got it. Okay. But so still a pretty small amount. Yeah. Pretty small. Okay. Postmortem case studies have shown deaths after drinking contaminated water for a week before death, and they believed that this amount corresponded to about two milligrams per kilogram of body weight per day. So again, with that window, you have mm-hmm. 0.68 in animal studies, take that as you will, that showed no adverse effect, and then two milligrams killed somebody. Yeah, that's not a big jump. No. Very small window. Um, they've also shown that chronic arsenical dermatitis, Ooh. yeah, skin, skin, okay. yeah. And I don't know that it, w- it was applied to the skin. I think it was probably ingested because of drinking the water and showed up as dermatitis. Oh. Led to the death of a 22-year-old after a lifetime of exposure in drinking water, and that exposure was only 0.014 milligrams per kilograms per day, which is about that NOAEL. It's just slightly higher. And, he, and they died. They died. And that was after a lifetime of exposure. So it's kind so of chronic, like... chronic, not an acute... 
Yeah, and it's also what is the range that you're looking at. If you have an animal study that lasts two weeks and you say we didn't see right. any adverse effects, but you have somebody drinking water for 22 years. And is that how old they were when, when they, they died? died? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And like I said, this doesn't even take into account other chronic issues like cardiovascular disease or cancer that could be attributed to that longer or lower exposure. Other things that they had going on, mm -hmm. either as a result of the long-term ingestion or just completely separate, maybe a hereditary issue. Yeah. Gotcha. You talked about, was it, and I forgive me, the Greeks or the Romans, they, which one? Same. The, the Greeks. The Greeks. Yeah. Okay, so the Greeks found this powder. They made it white. They turned it into the arsenic trioxide. Mm -hmm. When was it further refined, roughly? Ah. <laughs> Okay, well, arsenic was used by the Egyptians to harden copper, and it was in their embalming fluid. And so this would have either been, this might have been before the Greeks, might have been during the Greeks, might have been after, okay. because I don't know exactly when in time this was used in their embalming fluid. But I know that it did concern the people of Egypt, because when the Nile flooded and got into the graves, they were like, we know what's in the embalming fluid, mm -hmm. and we're not super keen on this. Mm -hmm. And then later on, the Romans also disapproved. They disapproved of embalming in general. Oh. But they, they disapproved of the embalming, and they knew about the arsenic. Oh, so Cause it was maybe one, non, one maybe has to do with the other, but maybe not just completely exclusive. Maybe not. I mean, they might have known about the arsenic and not been super excited to know about it, like being in water, because the Romans actually used arsenic as a pesticide. Interesting. Yeah. That was one of our first pesticides was arsenic. Interesting. <laughs> Which isn't great because it is taken up by plants and into soil and everything, but... Yeah. I mean, I think at that time, they probably weren't concerned with the long-term effects on the environment. Well, and how could they have known? <laughs> I mean, this even predated, right. like, thinking that tomatoes were poisonous because when eaten on lead plates they caused you to die so they thought tomatoes were poisonous like they might have just been like this rice is poisonous you know instead right. of being like oh it's arsenic it's because we're putting poison <laughs> on the crops like oh yeah fair, fair. yeah <laughs> and so what what else happened during this time period well one of the more exciting things that we're getting into with this history of arsenic yes is I the time <laughs> is the time that it was given the nickname the Poison of Kings, the King of Poison, and the Inheritor's Powder. Ooh, I love that. Ooh. <laughs> inheritance Powder? The Inheritance Powder. Oh, I love that. That's clever. Yeah, because it was used so often to off your family members so that you could ascend. <sighs> yes. That's so clever. <laughs> so this seemed to have been especially true in Rome. And the reason that I, I say that is because they had this law that was passed in 82 BCE called the Lex Cornelia de Sicaris et Beneficius. Beautiful. Is, thank you. <laughs> which is the Cornelia Law on Assassins and Poisoners. Yes. So this was happening enough. It was happening that enough. That they had to take the time, get everybody together, mm -hmm. write out something that said, okay, this can't happen yeah. anymore. <laughs> this is happening a lot and it needs to stop. <laughs> this inheritance powder is causing problems. <laughs> right. But the funny thing is, is that as much as it was against people killing each other, assassins, and people poisoning each other, it was mostly against using magic. <sighs> It always comes back to the witches, doesn't it? It does. It always uh, comes back to sexism. <laughs> so, so they thought this was magic? Yeah, well, 
magic and poison and and women specifically have such a strained relationship. <laughs> so the law was passed against poison and named arsenic specifically as being illegal to oh. own, sell, or to use to kill others. And so I think doctors could probably still have it, but they were walking kind of a thin line. Okay. So were all poisons at this time thought to be magic because they weren't uh, understood well enough? Uh, no. Nope. Oh. No. Oh. That, <laughs> that sounded fun a little bit. Like, oh, it's magic. No, it was tied to magic and the bewitching of men by women. So ah, if, if a woman, we are. <laughs> if a woman wielded it, then it was probably a poison. But if a man wielded it, it was probably a drug. Ah, mm-hmm. so <laughs> yeah. women, magic, heathens, terrible things. Men, oh, we're so upstanding, and this is medicine. Yeah, and we use it to treat the things because we're smart enough to treat yeah. them. That's what I hear in my head when they're talking about this. Basically, and I mean, okay, it was mostly men who were trained as physicians during this time because, and I don't know that this was a a worldwide thing at the time. I have read that some early, some early civilizations didn't have the gendered hierarchy that Western Mm -hmm. civilization did, but this is where we find ourselves historically. And if the intention was to kill somebody and the person died, totally a poison, right? Definitely a poison. Mm -hmm. But if the, even if the intention wasn't to kill somebody and the person died, you could still be held accountable. And so doctors were held to a pretty high standard. Okay. But it was also like, if it killed them immediately, it was more the thing. Like, if it killed them later, it's like, oh. Yeah, we don't really know what happened. Yeah, I mean, I guess. It might have been you. It might have been someone else. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes, okay. sometimes it was, if the person died and the person who administered it wasn't intending to poison them, then the person who sold it to that person oh. would be charged. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, how is that fair? Because, just because... That's not fair. It's not fair. No, it's not fair. And I don't know who would be held accountable then. Is it mostly men who are giving it out? Is it women who are, who have it? I don't know where the sources of these drugs are. But to try to take a more modern spin on it, that would almost be like if someone overdoses on heroin, mm-hmm. instead of going to the dealer who gave that person the heroin, it would be... The cultivator of the poppy fields? <laughs> but, I mean, that would almost like, be, like, better than what we're doing now in terms of the war on drugs. Sure. Sure. <laughs> yes, but just for the for the sake of this metaphor, like, that doesn't make sense no. to do it that way. It doesn't. It doesn't. Okay. Yeah. They, I'm sure they were trying their best. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so, anyhow, in 331 BCE, 170 wives were convicted of poisoning their husbands. Uh, how many? Uh, 170 wives. Oh. <laughs> and this was considered an act of weakness that was characteristic of women. And so they collected all these women. And who knows if they actually did poison their husbands? Who knows if it was intentional? Who knows if the doctor poisoned them? Mm, good point. But, needless to say, <laughs> this is this is where the problems for us started. <laughs> so sense. it was said that their insatiable erotic desire... <laughs> compelled them to commit poisoning and adultery, which were considered one and the same under the umbrella of beneficium, which, as you may remember, was the Lex Cornelia Law, de sicaris et beneficius. Oh, my goodness. This is wild. Yeah. And also not surprised. Right. Why am I not surprised? Sex, witchcraft, and poisoning have 
always been inextricably linked. Well, wouldn't have it any other way, I suppose. <laughs> Cleopatra was actually accused, and I don't know the, I mean, because she killed herself with an asp or whatever, however that went down. Sure. But people say that she <laughs> made Mark Antony her slave by using her sexuality to bewitch him. And this was later described as a form of beneficium. So, if a girl is just too hot to handle, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. excuse me, a woman, a woman is, controlling is too, Egypt and doing her thing, doing her thing, <laughs> leading her kingdom, she's too hot to handle mm-hmm. for Mr. Mark Anthony. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna put the blame on her oh, totally. because he couldn't deal with it in appropriate way. Yeah. I mean, the same reason that, you know, my cousin has to cover her shoulders at school because boys might not be able to deal with it <laughs> and you bewitching them. Like, maybe make calculus okay. more interesting. Yeah, or just <laughs> teach teach young men mm-hmm. how to be decent humans, right? I mean, that seems like the easy <laughs> solution, but again, let's just put... All of this onto the women and young ladies of the world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, and actually, oh, I found this horrifying direct quote. This book that was written in 1895. This is a direct quote from one of these books I was reading to try to like get the early history of how women were perceived. Mm-hmm. 1895. I let me remind you, it's not like this is not ancient history. No, this no. is <laughs> merely. One century, a little bit over. Yeah. So this is, yeah, there are people who remember family members from this era. Yeah. That are still alive today. So he has a direct quote describing, and this, the guy who wrote this was Her Majesty's Inspectors of Poisons in 1895. Mm. So he held, like, kind of a, an important... God. Yeah. High regard of his time. <laughs> and he describes what female poisoners look like word for word oh i can't wait to hear this this is gonna be good i can already feel it i can feel that my blood is going to be boiling approximately it it will okay okay (laughs) (laughs) the typical female criminal has coarse black hair and a good deal of it this is obviously only true of italians there is no general color color among northern or saxon races she has often a long face, receding forehead, overjutting brows, prominent cheekbones, an exaggerated frontal angle as seen in monkeys and savage races, and nearly always square massive jaws and a firm mouth. <laughs> uh, he insists strongly upon the last name trait as very generally present. The female offender is especially remarkable for her want of feminality. She is viral, masculine in voice and in figure, lank and meager without the rounded forms, a chief beauty in true woman and able, therefore, as in many well-known cases, to wear male attire without detection. How dare she? How dare she? How dare she just, like, look the way she looks and not fit your ideal of what a woman should look like? And, as I accurately predicted, blood boiling. (laughs) Because not only did he manage to take a very misogynistic point of view, he also brought racism into it, which was uh, not expected. (laughs) So there's that. Um, And I also love how, if people are only listening on the pod and haven't seen anything from us on social media, but how both of us could very likely have fit into this depiction (laughs) as you were describing. I'm like... Well, I don't know if my hair's 
thick enough, but I mean, everything else, um, yeah, I'm in this post and I don't like it. (laughs) Yeah. But I also like it because, yeah, if you want to say that I am a feminist and this is a terrible thing, like, by all means do. Yeah. I love that all of my friends would have been burnt at the stake during this time. (laughs) You hang out with a good crab. You hang out with a good crab then. All of them witches. <laughs> How interesting and infuriating. I know, right? I know. So that brings us, interesting and infuriating, <laughs> brings us to a pretty good point in history with Lucrezia Borgia. Have you heard of Lucrezia Borgia? I have not, but I think it's a beautiful name. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about her. Okay. She was born 1480 and died in 1519. 1519, and she was the daughter of Pope Alexander VI, who was infamous for his corruption among even popes at the time. (laughs) Okay, very good. (laughs) Because he admitted to fathering illegitimate children, including his son Cesare, who is his right-hand man. He almost certainly killed some cardinals with poisoned wine, although there there are arguments for and against that possibly happening. (laughs) And he, he was just, he was terrible. And I mean, yeah, he was a bad guy. So popes sound very different um, mm-hmm. from this, <laughs> this time than what I imagine. Like, cause I just imagine a somewhat frail older man waving kindly, mm-hmm. kissing the hands of all of the people. Okay. Yeah. Here, continue. So, continue. I'm just pope. trying, I'm catching up and getting yeah. my pope. Pope hat. Yeah. Picture different. Popes now are mostly just like symbolic figures, I Mm -hmm. think. Right. So popes then were closer to kings than to saints, Mm -hmm. for sure. They had to protect the papal states. Got it. Yeah. And so Cesare Borgia was the captain of the papal army. He was Alexander's son. Mm. And Lucrezia was the unfortunate daughter involved in all of this. And if you read most things about Lucrezia... It's that she was she was okay with the poisoning. She was directly involved with the poisoning. She was directly mm-hmm. involved with all of the doings of her brother and her father. And really, like, her life was a lot more sad. <laughs> it was a lot Aww. more sad than that. She married, she was forced into it in an early marriage with her first husband. And then things didn't work out as far as international affairs at the mm-hmm. time went. And so they forced her to divorce that guy. And that guy, they forced act- her to. They they forced her. Her and in, and this was a forced or a arranged was, marriage. It was an arranged marriage, and then <laughs> they forced her to divorce him. And okay, he. I think he was very upset at, at it as well because yeah, it's confusing. Like we were gonna get all this power because you're mm. a pope and all of this, and now you're you're cutting it off. And so a lot of the rumors that were started may have been started by this husband. And he, he said things like she had all of these affairs, including with her brother. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And really, she probably wasn't like that. She wasn't a, a political schemer and a poisoner. She was probably just existing and doing the best she could with what she had. Yeah. And so she was forced to marry a second husband. And Cesare actually killed this husband. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, some people are like, she wanted him to die. And it's like, I mean, maybe... But I just. But also, she didn't kill him. Yeah, and I also feel like she was just a pawn in this. I don't, I feel like she was probably sad that like she was forced into another arranged marriage, and then it was ended by her family again. Once again. Yeah. So this is a pattern at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, well, and I have, I have a question real quick. Okay. You mentioned that the Pope had killed people. Mm-hmm. How did he keep on hoping? Yeah. Well, okay. So the rumor was that the Borgias handpicked and cared for poisons in the same way that some connoisseurs might care for wines. Ah. And so there was this simultaneous, people are killed all the time with poisons, and it's hard to know if it's a poison because it could look like a stomach thing, and mm. medicine isn't great at the time, so everybody's just dying because water isn't clean and things like that. And they don't have a way at this point in time to test and they, say, this yeah. is the definitive reason why Yes. person died. Yeah, they okay. didn't have a way to test for arsenic, and so they assumed that these rumors about the Borgias were true and that they had this poison called La Cantharella, which Ooh, was fancy. Com- mm-hmm. It was composed of arsenic and other unknown ag- ingredients, but supposedly it had ingredients including plant and animal toxins, and they they said that they got these toxins by feeding arsenic to a pig, and then as the ars- <gasps> like, as the pig frothed and died, they collected the froth, which would like be more poisonous than just arsenic, and they added that to the oh the my tincture. God. Yeah, yeah, and it supposedly the La Cantarella had no flavor or odor. Although it might have been sweet. Some people said it was sweet, but probably not because it might have had decaying pig parts in it. Well, and if it maybe fermented at some point, Mm because who knows how long it was stored before they, I mean... Yeah. Some... Yeah, and if, if they did, in fact, kill people with arsenic, there were a couple of ways that, you know, having had 1,400 years plus experience with arsenic, that we, we noticed that... Corpses who were killed with arsenic tended not to decay. It was kind of a mm. preservative, which I think is interesting. Well, and that's because you had mentioned earlier the Egyptians had used it as kind of a formaldehyde. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And so if somebody was just poisoned with it, they noticed that there was a they, there was a delay in the decaying process. And so that was one of the ways you could tell. But by, I mean, by the time that the corpse should be decaying and you're looking for that, they could have fled town. Well, and and really... Who is going to go through the process and and let something happen for that amount of time? Because mm-hmm. like you said, they could have gone. And who's even going to care if it's a year plus down the road mm-hmm. to say, oh, you know what? Let's go dig them up real fast yeah. to see what's going on with that whole thing. Yeah. And I mean, as a king, it's kind of like... or. The Pope as a king-like mm-hmm, figure. It's mm-hmm. kind of like he's just doing whatever it takes to protect his people, essentially. And so there's at least stories of kings killing with, like, swords and things like that, which was definitely considered the more masculine way to, like, see somebody in a fight and they know right. you're coming. And so it was considered this, like, feminine weakness to poison somebody who can't even, like, protect themselves. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Cute. Yeah, and so, you know... Deaths were natural, political figures dying, and that was, it just happens. And so, yeah, the Pope was able to keep going, and the Borgias were able to keep doing their thing. And poisoning and controlling their daughter and sister. Yeah, exactly. That being their thing. And I, one, one of the, the rumors that I actually love about Lucrezia Borgia, because, I mean, the way I was introduced to her is this, like, femme fatale and things right. like that, is that she would carry this powdered La Cantarella in the poison ring on her <gasps> finger, mm. and so she could just, like, discreetly dump it into somebody's drink. Just, like, on a whim, like, you're pissing me off. (laughs) Or, you know, they have, like, these political figures over at the Mm. Vatican, I guess, is where they would have been. And, you know, poison them for dinner. And 
And just, I mean, well, and just with an ease. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I like that image. I like that. I like that. And it's, I guess, possible, but like, you know, poison rings, they don't hold very much. I know. I love your ring Thank so much. You. It's gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, well, because if we're talking, going back to the, the N-O-A-E-L, uh-huh. Would you, in your ring, be able to fit enough arsenic to to poison somebody, kill somebody? See, that's the thing is that I was reading some arguments against the Borgias being able to kill people because in the amount of arsenic you would need for a an acute lethal dose might be more than could be easily stirred into a drink and not noticed because mm. arsenic is a semi metal. Oh, so you would taste. It. You could taste it. I've heard that it tastes kind of metallic. Okay. Um, I've also heard that it tastes sweet, but you know. I mean, how many people live to yeah. tell the tale? I mean, you can do like <laughs> one of those things, like with cocaine and, right. and the movies or whatever. Right. But, um, but yeah, it just, it, it's not super soluble. And so I've heard oh. that it's more soluble in wine, which might make sense because it's an alcohol, but like wine back then wasn't that alcoholic, so would it have been soluble? Would you have seen arsenic flakes on the top? Would you have noticed? Yeah, and it, would it have, I mean, because some people pay attention to their drinks and others don't. You know, some people take a big swig without even looking at it, and somebody who's enjoying a nice glass of wine is going, yeah. oh, what the hell is this? Yeah, well, and if you <laughs> have like a dark metal goblin right and you're in a fucking castle that's lit by candlelight <laughs> like i don't know i don't yeah. know huh, okay so, i so, mean but 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 it sounds like it sounds to me like highly improbable that she would have been able to give someone a lethal dose from mm-hmm. an amount kept in a small ring yeah okay. i mean it's probably not reasonable that she was really part of the poisonings at all i think she was just a pawn i don't think that she was involved and for what it's worth actually like part of part of the source material i was able to get because there's just not a whole lot of first-hand accounts of lucrezia mm. borgia and i don't speak fluent italian so i can't read first-hand accounts i know i wish i could <laughs> <laughs> like the catholic encyclopedia admits to pope alexander the sixth being an asshole oh well that's good yeah and they're like he did do this and cesare did do all of this and they actually describe Lucrezia as, you know, being unfortunately forced to marry. And oh, then so they kind of got it right. Yeah, and they, you know, they're like, she was just kind of a victim in all of this. And she, once her brother and her father died, and she, you know, lived this perfect, pious life and had eight children, you know. This is really nice to hear. <laughs> I love that she gets somewhat of a happy ending. It would make it even more of a happy ending if you told me this. Did she get tired of their shit and poison them? No. Oh. Probably not. Okay. She she is <laughs> accused of having poisoned them. And in fact, mm. part of the reason that, you know, beyond her first husband having spread rumors, there was a Victor Hugo play called Lucrezia Borgia. Oh. And it painted her as, like, this mass poisoner. And it showed her... Having this mass poisoning, and then her illegitimate son finds out, and then everyone's dead. Not how things happened. Okay. Pope Alexander and Cesare were both poisoned, and the legend says it was with La Cantarella, which is why the legend says that it was probably Lucrezia. Because she ha- was familiar with this. Yeah. Homebrew. But it doesn't make sense that it would be Lucrezia, because what would she gain? Because Cesare actually lived. 
So the okay, Cesare he he lived a little bit longer. He did eventually die before Lucrezia, but he survived this poisoning. And the legend says he survived it by crawling into the body of a horse, like Star Wars style, and like Ew. it <laughs> absorbed the poison somehow. Okay. You know, the oldy medicine. Yeah. <laughs> but after he survived and Pope Alexander died, Cesare didn't have any power. Like um. he fell totally out of power. And the papacy would have never gone on to Cesare because he wasn't a cardinal or anything. Mm. But he so he was just left out in the dark. Yeah, he, he, he lost wasn't, his power. He wasn't a part of the army anymore. And the papacy was given to Pope Innocent VIII, who was the one who sanctified witchcraft hunts that would continue into the 18th century. Ew. So there's more of like popes were kind of just dicks. Yeah, and, <laughs> and that's how they, they don't like women. Yeah. They're all harlots. And, yeah. Mm, ew. But yeah, so it just doesn't make sense that Lucrezia would have poisoned them because if Cesare didn't even maintain power, what would Lucrezia have gotten out of poisoning both of them? Right. Yeah, so that doesn't make sense. Oh, actually, the, the opera says that her bastard son stabs her and then he dies because of wine that she poisoned. So the... This Victor Hugo not only wanted to paint her in a very, very poor light as this terrible woman, but then he's going to kill her, too. Yeah, I mean, that's not even how she dies. Yeah. She lived, you know, she outlived Cesare and had eight kids, and then the the Catholic Encyclopedia insists that she was a model wife and princess, which, yeah, I guess that's the opposite of a witch and a poisoner, but, like... Can we not have this dichotomy of how we can exist? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you know, like, whatever model model princess yeah, whatever, and why. Whatever that is supposed to imply. <laughs> Stepford wives. Yeah, so, yeah, she... In, from the 1600s. I don't remember what year they, they were died and when Cesare died, but, yeah, she lived to 1519, which is, like, a normal person. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad that she at least got to live some of her life without the plague of her meddling family. Yeah. 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 That makes me happy for her. Yeah. But have you ever read anything else by Victor Hugo? Like, have you read The Hunchback of Notre Dame? No. Yeah, I was supposed to read it as a freshman in high school and didn't. Mm -hmm. And I I went back and tried to read all the things I didn't read Mm. as a freshman in high school. And it was terrible. I can't believe they had us read that as freshmen. Like, Mm. Esmeralda's character? Sad. It's Aww. so sad. She's fifteen in the <gasps> book. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And the 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 cardinal. He's not a pope, but I want to call him a pope, dude. The evil sure. guy. Yeah. He. I'm pretty sure rapes her, and then he <gasps> hangs her. And we're gonna give this to fourteen and fifteen year olds. Yeah, and make a Disney movie out of it. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. Cause yeah, I will. I will say that all I know about the actual Hunchback of Notre Dame story is the Disney movie. Yeah. So that's very surprising and startling. Yeah, it was. It was bad. I was so unhappy when I got to the end because I thought that some sort of justice would prevail. I mean, I guess I wasn't super familiar with Victor Hugo because didn't he do Le Miserable? Is that yes. him? Yeah. Yes. So I should have maybe been more prepared <laughs> for that, but I wasn't. I mean, yeah. I had singing gargoyles. I, they had singing gargoyles, and the colors were all bright and very yeah. happy, and I would have never guessed, looking at that cartoon, that she was 15. No, because and... she was like 22 in the yeah. cartoon. <laughs> okay. Yeah, she was 15. Way to go, Victor Hugo. I know, Way I know. Go. I was like, I was 15 when you wanted me to read I know, that's terrible. <laughs> or just, 
I mean, ours were going to go on a tangent here now, but I mean, why would you give freshman honors classes the grapes of wrath? It's not a good story. I don't care who you are. Come at me. Fight me. It's not a good story. It's not a good time. No. It's like the Dust Bowl, but drier and harder to get through. Yes. And this was before, because I went to high school in the early 2000s, so the internet existed, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't in every home. I sure as hell didn't have it. Mm -hmm. But... I really, really wish that I would have known about spark notes and clip oh, notes yeah. in time mm-hmm. for the Grapes of Wrath because that literally put me to bed any time I would read it. Yeah. Didn't matter if it was one in the afternoon or 10 o'clock <laughs> at night. But I digress. Uh, yeah. I just don't like Steinbeck, you know? Yeah. yeah. Major tangent here, but yeah. Major I don't... tangent. Okay. <laughs> what are we doing? We do a podcast about toxicology. Yes, and other things. <laughs> and... and <laughs> And honors English in high school. So yeah, let's talk about Julia Tefano next. Okay, I've this one I've heard of. I have not heard of Lucrezia. What I have, I have heard of. Well, I've heard of Lady Tefano and Aqua Tefano. Why? Well, I, I, what my little knowledge of it was that it was used to kill husbands of women who were battered and abused. Yes. I, okay, so this is a yes, so I do have it right. So that's about all I really know about her. Yeah. And I think that while, do I think that murder is cool? No. Like, yeah. I will say that murder's not cool. However, spousal abuse is also very not cool. Yeah. So. Yeah. I would say so. And and with divorce not really being an option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's a lady to do? Yeah. Yeah, so, no, you're pretty on point, and it's hard to get information on Lady Tofana. There's a lot of, like, I mean, even for her birthday, I have 1620, question mark, <laughs> to 1659, which is also actually a question mark. Like, it's okay. it's really hard to nail down any facts about her. Oh, she's so mysterious. Yeah, and so, do I believe that Lucrezia Borgia was a poisoner? No. Okay. Do I believe that Lady Tofana was a poisoner? Yes, based on what I can find. Yeah, okay. so there actually is, and I think I know this is where you've heard of Aqua Tafana, Bailey Syrian did a really good makeup and murder podcast. It was excellent. Absolutely excellent. Yeah, so good. And I have no idea what her source material was. Basically, it lines up with everything I've ever heard about Lady Tafana, but in order to get, like, citations to put in our notes, I was like, I have no idea. All, all of the, like, really well-written stuff I could find birthday didn't match up all of the events of her life didn't match up and so this is what I could find from things that seemed to be told over and over again and sources that I could find that seemed reputable well and I almost wonder do you think that she was quote-unquote erased any history because she was a controversial woman she may have been yeah and so it's also like can you say that you believe she was a poisoner if there's nothing about her and if the only thing was is this almost rumor that she was a poisoner and part of me just wants to believe she was, because she was doing something kind of badass. Like, yeah. as much as I'm like, okay, poisoning people is not okay. Yeah, spousal abuse is also not okay. Right. <laughs> Two can play that game. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, la- so what do we know about her? What we know about her is that Lady Tofana worked at an apothecary, and she made cosmetics, which may have had arsenic, because arsenic was actually used in a lot of cosmetics mm. for, like, making you look pale. 
And okay. <laughs> Italians were very into, like, the high forehead and looking very pale. Because if you looked pale, then you clearly didn't do work, right? And so that uh, was, like, yes, the whole blue bloods thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, her her cosmetics were probably not the intended poisons, but her poisons were sold disguised as cosmetics. And so that's one of the things that I've seen said kind of reversed is that she sold poisonous cosmetics and they were poisonous, but she wasn't selling her like face powders and saying like, oh, great, run this up and put it in your Hudson soup. Right. She was selling a liquid called Aquatofana. And Aquatofana was a quote unquote, had cosmetic purposes. Yeah. They could take it home and they could be like, oh, I'm just, you know, this is my face. Juice. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say toner, but I don't. That's a better word. <laughs> but I don't think they had toner back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Face juice. yeah. And I don't. I don't think she called it aquatofana. I don't know how she called it, but aquatofana is the name that it was given afterwards okay. as the poison because it was her name. But it was also called the water from where was this? Oh, oh. water from Palermo. Ah, oh, they're because, both so lovely. Yeah, and she was from Palermo, which is where oh. it's from. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so she sold her aquatofana under the guise of a blemish cure, and arsenic was probably a common ingredient in it. And <laughs> she sold this solution that was probably, the solution was probably a recipe that was passed down to her from her mother, mm. Teofania di Adamo, who was put to death in 1633 for poisoning. Oh, so it's like, I got it from my mama. Yeah. <laughs> and I do, I do really love what I could find of the story because it seems like Lady Tofana passed it down to her daughter who continued uh, her work after her death. Can we call it her legacy? I would love to call it her legacy. <laughs> <laughs> but according to legend, her poison blood only took six drops to kill somebody and was linked to the death of, and this is another rough number, sure. 500 to 1,000 people. Over 50 years. She had reach. Right. And, <laughs> like, again, this whole over 50 years, I said 1620, question mark, to 1659, which would have made her 39 at the oldest, and it was linked to, you know, so I don't know. But either way, during, I mean, her adult years, because let's assume she probably wasn't into doing this when she was 10 years old or no. preteen, that's quite a few people in a relatively short window, mm-hmm. all things being considered. Yeah. Um, something else I'd like to note about that number, if accurate, let's even go on the low end, 500. <laughs> 500 men or people were poisoned with this. That's a lot of uh, wife beating going on. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess it was a norm. Yeah, probably. Because, I mean, I don't know, I don't know the, I don't know the statistics statistics about like arranged marriage Mm. i don't know the statistics on like the age gap in marriages all things considered whether they were not arranged marriages they were close in age yeah it's not okay to beat your wife no it's not okay to beat your wife and like again like you know benefit of the doubt maybe it wasn't all women who were like i need to get out of this marriage maybe it was just like I want money and I want him gone. Mm. Yeah, which is fair too. But again, I would like to think that, you know, people were desperate because that's a thing you even see now. And this right. is an easy way out and right. not easy to detect. Right. And it could just look like he got the cholera and he died. And Oh no. I'm a destitute widow with children. Damsel in distress. Oh, I get money? <laughs> okay. Okay, bye. <laughs> Even if, even if a percentage of them weren't abused women, there that's still too many women to be abused. 
And what yeah. I what I know about Lady Tifana in my minimal research and knowledge of her mm-hmm. is that she was somewhat discerning with who she gave. It seemed like it, yeah. Yeah, like to from what I could gather, yeah. you know, she wasn't looking to make a pro like sure did she make money off of this absolutely but i don't think that that was her um primary focus yeah in it yeah i think it was more so i have this thing i know it works for this other thing mm-hmm. so i'm going to work something out yeah not i'm going to make that cash yeah i don't think that was her i don't think that was her prerogative i'm question this Hieronima Spara figure who was that her daughter? It may have been her daughter. I don't know. Okay. But, <laughs> so, I don't even know, like, the order that things went. Because things fell apart. Uh, I, I I couldn't find this anywhere. But what I've heard is that a woman was going to poison her husband and then got cold feet and told him don't eat it. And he was like, well, why don't eat it? Ugh. So she had to tell him it was poison. And Ugh. then they had to ask where she got it. And so... Lady Tofano was told, like, hey, the word is out, and so she fled to a a convent for sanctuary and then was forcibly removed and imprisoned. And then she was tortured and strangled to death in (gasps) 1659, possibly. And then her body was thrown back over the wall of the convent that she fled to as, like, a fuck you. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. All because one lady. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And so this Hieronima Spara carried on... Her legacy. And okay. I don't know if she was her... I don't know if she was her biological daughter, if she was, like, an adopted daughter. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But she continued to do this, and she was publicly hanged. And she may have been hanged the same year after a huge trial. I don't uh. know. But what it seems like I could find is that there was a Roman priest who was involved either with Tofana or Spara or both. And he was providing them arsenic. Oh, and he wasn't twist. he wasn't punished at all after this huge trial. She, well, of course he not. He was a man. I know. <laughs> I know. And also this was under he was a part of the clergy under the reign of Pope Alexander the Seventh. Oh. And you get to name yourself as Pope, and so that's who he wanted to be like, which Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. Spara, I think, may have been doing it for money. She may have been doing it to continue on a legacy. She may have been doing it concurrently with oh, yeah. a little I don't column know. A, a little of column B. I, yeah, I don't really know. I've heard of Tofana. I haven't heard much of Spara, and the timeline for her was really difficult to pin down. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So our next lady Ooh. that I wanted to discuss, yes, is Marie Madeleine Marguerite de Brinvilliers. I Ooh. think that's how you say it. Well, I love it. Let's go with that. <laughs> that name is fabulous. She was born in 1630 and died in 1676. And so about the same time mm-hmm. as Lady Tofana. Mm-hmm. And she was accused of killing her father and brothers with Tofana poisoning. Oh. This may not have been genuine Aqua Tofana, despite the overlap of time. Wait, so is there, there's like the off-brand? So is this like the Equate version <laughs> of Aqua Tofana? I, I don't think so. I think people just started calling liquid poisons Aqua Tofana. Aqua Tofana. Aqua Tofana. <laughs> yeah. Okay. In, in fact, um, when mm. Mozart died, he, he said something mm. about being poisoned with the water from Palermo and like, Probably not. I think he actually died from syphilis and was not poisoned, but, you know. It sounds cooler to die from poisoning than syphilis. It's way cooler to blame somebody else rather than, like, your own body failing you, I guess. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
uh, De Brenvier lady was accused of killing her brothers and her father in order to carry out an extramarital affair. Ooh, scandalous. Yes. yes. Well, and it was especially damning because mistress was synonymous with poisoner and um. witch. And so even if she hadn't poisoned them, it was actually this lover and his name was uh, lost to history because I don't care. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> the lover actually was, he was imprisoned and he learned about poisons while in prison. And then he got out of prison and he was like, hey, help me poison people. <gasps> and according to history, she said, okay. <laughs> Just to, like carry out her affair. So right. like, regardless of whether or not she was actually poisoning people, she was a mistress. Uh, who knows? She's just putting it out there and like succumbing to her sexual erotic desires. Uh, and Yeah. She was accused specifically of poisoning family members and servants and hospital patients because she worked at a hospital or like volunteered oh. at the hospital. So she was more than one person, more than her husband, that yes. she was cheating on, question mark? She was cheating on her husband. Mm. I don't, she didn't kill him initially, I don't think. Okay. Yeah. Um, but she had her side piece. She had her side piece, and he introduced her to poisoning, and, she, you know, what I've read says that she, like, just really took to it and started to test out the poison. She's, this on, is fun. Yeah. <laughs> was killing hospital patients, which I've heard of. Like, I've heard right. of nurses being like, I'm done with your shit well right there's there's you know the angel of mercy kind of nurses Mm -hmm. who think that they're being helpful and then they're the ones that are the angel of death that are like i'm kind of a psychopath so i'm gonna kill you yeah so it sounds to me like she just got a taste for blood and was Mm -hmm. having her own little experiment i mean it sounds like that that could be i'm not sure i'm not sure how i feel about this one yeah, it's it doesn't sound as benevolent as say yeah Lady Tafana, but wait, there's more. <laughs> of course there is. Tell me. So eventually her lover died, and okay. I don't know. I don't think she got divorced. I don't. I don't know if she offed her husband, but her lover died, and these really incriminating letters were found, Ooh. and she didn't. I don't think she admitted to anything in the letters. I think it was all sort of circumstantial, what they found, but. She was arrested for these letters. Uh, what is in them? <laughs> I don't know. It's another thing where I don't speak French and I couldn't figure out what was in the letters. But still, you're getting arrested for letters. I know. Well, and I, I maybe she was, like, implicated in the death oh. of the lover. I, I'm not sure. But she only admitted, and everybody will, like, if you look up the history of De Brunvier, they'll be like, she admitted to it. She admitted under torture. Yeah, that's not really the same thing. No, so she only admitted under torture to using arsenic, vitriol, toad venom, and then using milk as an antidote, which doesn't work. (laughs) That's cute. (laughs) Like, maybe it'll help your tummy feel better because you were poisoned, but like it's... arsenic and toad venom. Yeah. Yeah, so Um. she admitted under torture that she had used these poisons, and then she was publicly beheaded and burned. Oof. Yeah. Then her death and her her crime and her trial led to the affair of poisons that lasted from 1677 to 1682. And this was huge. This led all the way up to almost the king of France. Yeah. Oh. So 442 people, including members of the French aristocracy, were implicated. Yeah, I know, right? a lot of people. (laughs) 36 of them were executed, 5 were sentenced to the galleys, and 23 were exiled. It was enormous. 
It was such a huge well, thing. Well, yeah, because if there were 442 people implicated, how many weren't? Yeah. It, by You know, and I mean, by logic, there's going to be more <laughs> than what were implicated because it's... I Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And okay. it, this all started with the arrest of a witch, quote unquote, maybe, maybe not. And serial poisoner named Madame Montevoisin or La Voisin, and this was in 1679. So they the 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 trial started because of De Brinvier, 1677, and then in 1679 this woman is implicated. Okay, she was a serial poisoner because when her abusive alcoholic husband went bankrupt, she went into the business of abortions and the preparations of other poisons. Oh. And so that's what she's accused of being a serial poisoner by. Because she was helping other women with abortions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Of course, she also had extramarital affairs with wizards and alchemists. <laughs> yes, I love everything about that sentence. <laughs> and she attempted to kill her husband a couple times. Well, so I feel like if she really wanted to... I don't know. If he was an alcoholic, it's one of those things where it's like, does his body react to poison differently? Oh, that's, that's true. That's yeah. true. So, she's checking all the boxes. <laughs> yeah, she's... I, everything a woman that I would have wanted to hang out with. Right, I know. So, she gained notoriety as a high priestess of Christian congregations Ooh. in Paris, where she did Christian witchcraft, I guess. Okay. And uh, Brinvier's Name dropped Levoisin. So the the last one we talked about, mm-hmm. name dropped this woman. She probably knew about her through one of these Christian congregations. Oh. And she name dropped her in her torture confession confession. And she became linked to the death of several influential members of nobility in the late sixteen seventies. Was it a truthful implication, do we know? Or was it one of those things where we're gonna blame you for this thing because you're an easy scapegoat? I don't know. It all it all sounds so much like the Salem witchcraft trials mm. to me, where, like, maybe she did name drop her because she was like, maybe if I name drop somebody who I know does witchcraft and maybe does right. poisons, maybe they'll let me go or something, or maybe they'll mm. arrest her for having been the provider or something. I don't know. That, I mean, I could see that making sense. I mean, yeah. okay. Okay. So, anyhow, the home of Lavoisin was searched, and the police found magic powders. And they yes. found venomous poisons, grimoires, Ooh. fragments of human bones, and a list of her clients. Are they at my house? I know, right? <laughs> like, this honestly just sounds like a doctor's office back then. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, unfortunately, they found her client list. Her lover was arrested, and then he threw her under the bus by <sighs> saying that one of the ovens in her home was used for infants that were too big to bury. <gasps> Yeah, infants that were too big to bury because they wouldn't, like, decompose. Oh, my gosh. This sounds like some Hansel and Gretel shit. I know. I know. What? So, yeah, she he was like, she she aborts the babies and buries <sighs> the small ones in her garden and burns the big ones in, these, in this tiny oven that she has. And she, of course, denied everything. She was like, my tiny oven is just a small oven. <laughs> and my magic powders and poisons are just medicines. Which is like, yeah, they probably we were. were. Right. Because... It, Truth be told, a lot of women who were given the name of witches Mm -hmm. and priestesses and dabbling in all this black magic were really just women who were using medicine and science 
of the time mm -hmm. to take care of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, there was a division between physician and wise women or something like that. Mm. But it wasn't a huge division. There were the universities in Palermo or wherever. There were Italian universities mm -hmm. at the time, and we had already gone through the age of Islamic medicine, and so we had apothecaries popping up. But really, the division was just getting started. Mm. And so everything that the people who were learning things in the universities knew were things that had been passed down orally to people who couldn't afford to go to the doctor or who couldn't afford to go to university to become a physician. And they, this was just knowledge that passed along, and so it really wasn't any different mm -hmm. than what the doctors were learning. They just didn't have the fancy title. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Okay. Her lover continued to just be Ugh. like, no, 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 she's lying, listen to me, I'm right. And he said that her clients included members of the king's entourage, Ooh. one of them being the maid of a mistress to the king to whom she had given a love powder. So Lavoisin gave the maid a love powder that theoretically the mistress would have given to the king. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And Lavoisin denied even knowing the maid, and the transcripts of this statement were never revealed in court. So her saying, like, no, I've never even met this woman, those were never revealed in court. But everything else, of course, Of was. course. Cute. And then she admitted under torture to the business, and she still denied ever knowing this maid or this lady. She still denied even when she was being tortured. She never name-dropped anybody. Wow. Yeah. That's really sad. And then she was burned at the stake in 1680, Ugh. which was only 13 years away from the witchcraft trials in the United States. What was the early United States at the time. Wow. Yeah. That's really sad. Mm-hmm. Really sad. And then in 1851, the House of Lords tried to pass a law that made it illegal for women specifically to buy arsenic when it was so easy to obtain that a child could go to their local apothecary and say they needed rat poison and they'd be given it. How sexist of them. I know. I think that that was, I think that that was ratified by just having a book that you had to write in. So if you bought pesticides, you had to write your name in the book. Mm. Which, you know, we didn't have IDs back then, so people could just write whoever. <laughs> I'm Lucrezia Borgia. <laughs> <laughs> they had reason in 1851 for doing that because arsenic was implicated in 45% of intentional poisonings in the 1800s. So that's a big part of why <laughs> when you think of poisons, you think arsenic. Yes. Yes. Okay. So that's a pretty large number. So yes. did this lead the scientific community of the time into doing any kind of testing and trying mm -hmm. to find out the reasons. Totally. Yeah, this was right around, like, the scientific revolution. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, arsenic and the test for it was essentially, like, the birth of toxicology. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the the first test that that really worked out was the Marsh test. There were tests before that, but they were, like, fairly inconclusive. So the Marsh test was the first one where you could take, usually it was stomach contents or tissue, mm. and so it was always post-mortem. Mm -hmm. And you, you could perform this test, and if it created this soot on a mirror, then you knew there was arsenic Ooh. in it. Yeah. But it would also do that for, for a, a couple other toxins. So, I mean, but you could at least narrow it down to, it's... One of these things yeah. that probably shouldn't be in your body. Right. Okay. And so that was developed in 1836. 
And then the Marsh test was used in 1840 during the trial of Marie Lafarge for the murder of her husband using arsenic. Mm. And so even though this guy who was part of the Royal Military Academy named James Marsh came up with the test, the guy who was really considered the father of toxicology is the, he was this guy, Matthew Orfila, who used the test during the Lafarge case. Oh. to to prove that she did kill him and it held up in a court setting and so that was like the big like wow science science is so awesome yeah okay and so he had <laughs> he, although like toxicology had a long history before this really it was 1840 when we were like toxicology is a real science and we can use it to determine things well and i'm sure that that was great for a lot of the quote unquote witches who mm-hmm. were accused of these crimes because maybe it could prove their innocence. Mm-hmm. You know, along with also short the victims of these crimes getting justice. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, that that's something that hopefully could vindicate a lot of innocent people. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there are some... It does fall short in a couple of ways. Mm-hmm. And so the Florence Maybrick case is a really good example of that, which we'll have as a Patreon exclusive. Okay. And we'll talk about how the Marsh test was used to try to convict Florence Maybrick, but it was kind of inconclusive. Ooh. Yeah, because they couldn't determine the if the levels in the body were lethal or not. Ooh, I can't wait. Yeah, and so it was there, but it wasn't quantitative, and quantitative was really important, wow. <laughs> and we didn't have that for a very long time. Interesting. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait for that. Awesome. Well, this has been a lot of information, but really interesting episode. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. And I mean, are you are you satisfied with ending here and having a couple other arsenic episodes after this? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm because if there were that many other cases, of course we need to do additional parts. Mm-hmm. But I think I learned a lot about the history of it and how women were treated so terribly and given these terrible labels and and how other women dealt with that. <laughs> women supporting women. <laughs> That's right. No, very interesting. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. Oh, of course. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. I can't <laughs> wait to do the other parts. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like, follow, subscribe, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. For more Lethal Dose content, you can find us at Lethal Dose Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. For an overdose of content, subscribe on Patreon for exclusive episodes and much more. The show theme is Look Far by our dear wizard friend Fogweaver. More of their music can be found on Bandcamp.com. Lethal Dose is created, researched, produced, and edited by Kayla Woods and Venus Dineko. Stay safe, and remember, the dose makes the poison. Mm-hmm.